and welcome to this episode of HBCU. I'm your host, D. Brown, CEO. Joining me on the show today is my special guest, Larry Gooden. Larry comes here by way of Alcorn State University. Larry, welcome to the show. Hey, pleasure to have me. Thank you. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. Larry, I want to start the show by talking about Alcorn. This is a little, you know, known fact. I actually attended Alcorn for one semester, my freshman year, uh, before transferring to then Memphis State. Uh, university. So I'm, I'm familiar with the academic resort and, and, and all of that uh, campus life as well. But I want to understand from you, how did you select Alcorn State University? So Alcorn State was never my first choice. I, I always share that in any any panel interview that I, that I speak on. Growing up, I'm originally from Natchez, Mississippi, and growing up in Mississippi, Back in the early 2000s, 1989, 2000, 2001, HBCUs were sort of frowned upon. It wasn't the number one choice that parents would want for their students, you know, their 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 their, their children. So I was aiming for Mississippi State, USM, University of Texas, et cetera. And I had an opportunity to to meet Dr. Clinton Bristow Jr. while attending Copiah Lincoln Community College. I had an opportunity to sit down and talk with him. And he was the influencer that really sort of opened my eyes that Alcorn State University would be the sounding board for my professional career. And, you know, I, I received a full academic scholarship to Alcorn State. I did my final two years of undergrad there. And also I did an additional semester because I was a part of several organizations on campus. And for the most part, I would say Alcorn really prepared me for a career in international affairs, a career in, in higher ed that I had no idea would ever exist in my life. Wow. So we'll get a chance to talk about that a little bit more as the show progresses. But I, I also want to understand and, and kind of take this walk back uh, with you to talk about, you know, when you first made it to uh, Alcorn, uh, what was that experience like your freshman year? So well, I guess you, you, went, I, you actually went as a junior, a correct? Correct. I was a junior. Correct. So it was, it was, it was an, it was amazing. You know, living in living in Natchez, you have exposure to the HBCU life because you're in high school, you're attending the step shows, et cetera. But I think actually being a student and walking on campus, knowing that in two years this will be my bachelor degree, this will be on my my resume. Yeah. I was I was a little afraid because I, I felt that I wasn't prepared. You know, I, I, I you know, the HBCU experience, everyone, their their presidential, you know, the linens, the clothing, the lifestyle, you know, you have your own car, et cetera. But for me, it was more it was very humbling. And, 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 and I would equate that to just not really knowing what the HBCU life really was outside of just step shows and 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 bands and football games. You actually have an opportunity to walk into a classroom and see a black professor, 
you know, who looks like you, who genuinely has your best interests, but also is challenging status quo and encouraging you to, you know, this the academic resort. You will earn your grade. Right. Nothing is given to you. Yeah. So what were some of the uh, moments that you remember most about attending Alcorn? I think I, I would narrow it down to three. I think the, the, the number one experience or a moment that I had was actually walking into the president's office and being inducted into the men's club and knowing that, you know, people in my family were like, you know, loggers working at international paper or, you know, different, um, different cleaning services around the community. But I actually had an opportunity to be exposed to a professional black male that I saw myself in. Yeah. I would also say, you know, exposure to Cap Alpha Psi and knowing that, you know, as a kid, you went to and attended a Greek step show, but now I actually have the opportunity to join a, a black Greek letter organization and that I do, I, I work really hard to have the GPA, et cetera, et cetera, to be a part. And I would also say the third experience was traveling abroad, you know, being at an HBCU and having an opportunity to travel for the first time ever on an airplane. I was traveling from Jackson, Mississippi to to Accra, Ghana with a few of my professors. Uh -huh. And that would sort of be the birth of my international affairs career where I had an opportunity to not only just see a person, a Caucasian or white person or a black or African-American person, but I'm actually in a different culture in a different continent interacting with true Africans who are really doing amazing things within yeah. the, um, the Ghanaian community. So who were some of the uh, professors or staff members that uh, most shaped your academic uh, career as well as helped you and mentored you uh, on your, your uh, career path? I would definitely say Dr. You know, the former president, Dr. Clint Bristow Jr. Esquire. I would say Dr. Napoleon Moses, um, all of the instructors from the Industrial Technology Building. I just can't name one because yeah. everyone played a, a big part. And, you know, my 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 enrollment and my advisor, you know, Irvin Casely Hayford, who's uh, was a big point because he not only focused on the admission part, but he also helped me figure out and sort through the, the many different scholarships that were out there and available to students. But he helped me sort of strategize which, which scholarship would, would be more financial feasible for me to not only pursue my undergrad, but it would also cover a fraction of my graduate study. So he really, Irving Casely Hafer really had the best interests of, of, of myself. So talk to me about your, uh, your graduate uh, degree. I know that you attended Harvard uh, for your uh, graduate so, studies. Yeah, so correct. So Harvard was a part of the professional education, which was in school leadership and innovative management. But my, my, exact, my MBA, I actually attended a program at Rutgers University, and it was in partnership with Keller Graduate School of Management. Um, the, the thing that most people don't know about me is that higher ed was sort of at the middle section of my career, but on the front end, I actually spent time working in the manufacturing sector with a Fortune 100 company, Kraft Foods, where I started off as a production supervisor and worked my way up through middle management. But again, 
you know, and connecting the, the narrative of the HBCU. You know, you're talking back in 2005, where many times when you walk into a setting and everyone's talking about their credentials and you say an HBCU in 2005, people cringed or sort of, uh, you know, they, they, they really lack knowledge about the, the, the existence and the importance of the HBCU, particularly in the Mississippi, you know, Deep South. So when I connect that to my education, I always say that, you know, Harvard is there, Rutgers is there, Keller Graduate School is there. But at the end, everything starts with Alcorn because that was my first true representation of what college right. represented, what a true professional black male in a suit, you know, Dr. Bristow, Dr. Moses, what they represented, and just the etiquette of being a polished and professional young black male. So what do you... Uh... If you had to summarize a couple things that you like most about the academic resort, uh, what would be those things? Uh, it's so much. Um, you know, and, and it's interesting because right now I flew in last night and I'm actually here at Alcorn State University and this meeting sort of gave birth. So this is uh, the universe speaking to me. But I would say just the professors, knowing that you know, you you have professors who want you to earn the A, but they, at that time, you know, I can't speak now, I would hope and pray that it's still the same or better, but knowing that professors had your best interest both on the academia side, as well as the possibility of going into the technical and functional side of an internship. Right. You know, they, they talked about the importance of academics, but they also talked about what life would look like beyond the the exam or the final. Right. And, and that was that was something I, I personally found value in. I would also say, you know, the community, knowing that you have from a social, emotional piece, knowing that you always had someone around the clock that you can confide in and that you can reach out to if you're having an emotional breakdown or you've had some type of emergency, et cetera, knowing that you had someone around the clock to reach out to. Yeah. You know, it's that's very important for many students like myself. I was a first generation college student. You know, my my parents knew nothing about college. You know, right. if, if I was stressed out from a midterm, my mom is just like, hey, listen, put some olive oil on your head and, you know, I'm praying for you. I'm like, mom, it takes more than that when you take it. <laughs> Sound like my mama. <laughs> <laughs> so so just, just go ahead. Yeah. So just uh, just just knowing that you have that that community and that support system and people who genuinely cared about their students. Right, right. And um, and I know you touched on this uh, briefly uh, earlier, but I wanted you to kind of uh, talk about how Alcorn prepared you for uh, your graduate studies and your career. So again, you know, when I think about that question, the sounding board was knowing that back in 2005, when I finished Alcorn, um, if you're in a meeting or you're in a panel interview, you have Alcorn State, you have Duke, you have, let's say, uh, Michigan State, et cetera. Alcorn gave me an opportunity to have a seat at the table to interview for some of the premier you know, leadership development programs. But the brand itself at that time wasn't strong enough in a sense to actually have an alumni on the inside like yourself that's willing to open doors or or build a bridge so to speak for you to enter so i i think personally the international experience the tough love and the accountability and 
you know, the rigor within the classrooms really prepared me for corporate America. But if I had to define one specific factor about the HBCU community that really prepared me, I would say being able to interact with multicultural audiences, because here at the academic resort, you have students from India, students, professors from India, Russia, yeah. um, you know, South America, et cetera. For some students, you never ever have that true experience until you're on the job, but you lack that exposure. So having that exposure on the front end and having that international study abroad, you know, India, Africa, and China, it really gave me a competitive edge. And it sort of was the sounding board for me to even do work with the United Nations as a liaison for my campus and, 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 and different NGOs. So talk to me about your, your professional career. I know that you touched on the fact that you started working in you know, manufacturing, uh, but talk about that journey to where you are now. I would say the journey, it was, it, it, in the beginning, it was very tough. You know, a young black male, Mississippi, you know, you're traveling to the East Coast, still with the Southern, you know, dialect. You know, you have the Southern hospitality. You're managing people twice my age from Poland, from, you know, Italy, you know, European immigrants who also lacked an understanding of people from the South, specifically men of color. So I learned very quickly how to build and nurture and honor relationships. And as a manager and a person who's responsible for the supervision as well as the development of those individuals, it was it was sort of like being thrown in the fire, but learning on the fly and building those soft skills that would be necessary for both the professional career as well as the real world. And that career sort of parlayed into a successful career in higher ed because regardless of what you're doing in the workforce, you're constantly developing people, you're educating people, you're training them. So what I did was package those experiences together. And, you know, I had a gentleman by the name of Rick Rees who saw something in me and I started my higher ed career off in the Office of Institutional Giving and Advancement. And it sort of parlayed into a, um, a graduate level adjunct professor role. And I have, you know, I've been successful in every endeavor thus far, and I'm looking, really looking forward to one day, you know, becoming a, a president of an HBCU. I'm sure you'll you'll accomplish that. Uh, that's what nukes do. <laughs> we achieve. So I want to know, in, in your in your current role, uh, what do you do in your in your present role? So so in my present role, it's sort of threefold. So. In terms of the United Nations liaison role, it's sort of actively working with international students who come to the U.S. on, you know, various types of visa, but giving them an opportunity to, you know, sort of chaperone and be the point of, of professional contact for them as they apply for, you know, roles at the U.N. or U.N. different ally agencies, et cetera, and also teaching them about cross-cultural competencies, um, anything within the lines of entrepreneurship, um, financial management, et cetera. We have a dedicated curriculum that focuses on building a person's career for diplomacy or international affairs. And I have the opportunity of being one of the, the, the many selected instructors to lead those, uh, lead those courses. So just in your professional journey, uh, what have been some of the challenges or obstacles you've had to overcome to get to where you are today? I would say 
wow, I just had this question. I would say understanding how to manage your emotions. That's something that, you know, wasn't taught to me when I was young. You know, Alcorn really never gave me the experience in that that area because in the South, we're constantly taught, you pray on it, you pray on it, pray on it. But as you know, in the workforce, you know, when when you're making six-figure salaries, you know, you that's not a part of the professional development. You know, right. we pay you because we see the talent. And understanding your micro triggers and understanding how to manage your emotions and understanding the importance of professional development and being a long-term or life-term student, yeah. those are some of the some of the things that I I often identify. And I would say, you know, it's 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 no secret, you know. Um, you know, understanding the difference between a manager and a leader. You know, right. understanding that, you know, managers, you manage processes. Leaders, you get, you have the honorary, uh, you know, uh, opportunity to develop others and pour the equity of yourself within them. And many people only look at leadership as an opportunity of power and influence. So they sort of abuse that privilege. Right. I, I would say having not having the right mentorship throughout my journey was also a disadvantage. But the, the, the reward in that is that you begin to look for other mentorships outside the realm of the corporations. No, I agree. Uh, we do professional development uh, at my company every Friday. And uh, I think that's uh, essential to my staff being able to understand how to deal with just all types of uh, challenges and issues and, and, and really try to develop their thought process. So I would like to know from you, though, because you, you raise a very uh, interesting point about being able to manage your emotions. And obviously, uh, there have been many people that have uh, <laughs> fallen from grace or lost opportunity or whatever you want to call it because they are unable to uh, manage their emotions or unable to navigate through uh, challenging situations. What are some of the, I guess, tips you would give someone watching uh, in terms of how to uh, conquer that? I would say be, you know, find a, a safe space within yourself to be vulnerable, you know, and identify some of those those childhood traumas that, you know, you carried from your childhood into your professional life or adulthood and figure out a way to have a real bold and authentic conversation with the mentor. And, you know, that's the challenging factor is who can I trust in the 21st century who will not turn that against me when I become successful or, or when I have an opportunity to, to fulfill, you know, my highest hopes and dreams. And I think once you can find or identify that person and confide in them, I think that's the first sign of, of, of healing but it also is a first sign of professional growth because how can you support someone else or develop someone else when you're not willing to be vulnerable with yourself and address the most important piece, what's within you? Right. So, uh, Larry, tell me about uh, someone, whether it's a parent or relative or professor, who, who would you say has been most influential uh, in, in your life and, and helping you to get to where you are? I would say he's he's on your staff. I would say John. Really? You know, um, yeah, you know, the, the, the thing that I love about John is that John has this hardcore image, you know, this this demeanor, but he's really a teacher. He's a mentor. And he's bigger. When I say bigger than Kappa, if you are a noob, he will pour equity into you. But the 
when you know him on a personal but a professional level, he is a wealth of knowledge. You know, right. he's willing to open himself up. He He's okay with allowing you to see who he used to be and how he's evolved and become the professional that he is. And even today, you know, when he, he, he gave me a call this morning, I took the call because I know him. Right, right. You know, and I know... I. And I know that he's one of those brothers. And I, I, when I say brothers, I'm not just talking about capital. I'm talking about a real brother, brother you can call upon. Right. He's one of those those brothers that he really is about the greater good of himself and the greater good of anyone else or anyone within his circle. And he 100% wants to create opportunities and open doors for you, whether it's with his personal contact, a contact within yourself, right. or even if it's a contact abroad, you know, he's, he's always that, I call him the uh, volunteer professional development coach. He's, <laughs> he's always there. He, he always has something. If you're complaining, he will turn the complaint into a coachable and meaningful moment. So I have to say John. Yeah. And, and just for the audience, John Smith is the uh, vice president of higher education and public infrastructure for my firm, the P3 group. So that the audience to know who, who we're talking about, but John essentially knows just about everybody in the world. I mean, there's not yeah. a single person, <laughs> I don't care what position they hold, if you tell John, I'm trying to get in touch with this person, you give John anywhere from three to 24 hours, and he's gonna get you connected with that person. So he is he's a wealth of uh, knowledge and someone that has been able to build and maintain uh, just unbelievable relationships uh, throughout his his lifetime. He's still a you know young guy. I mean, John's probably five years or so younger than me, but it's it's, it's just amazing as to the wealth of knowledge that he he has. Uh, I want to ask you uh, from from where you sit now, uh, how important is it to you to give back to uh, the community and give back to uh, the institutions that have helped you get to where you are? I think it's very important. Again, someone, whether it was, you know, working in advancement really exposed me to this, is that many students don't understand that if you're on a scholarship, right, that scholarship did not fall out of the sky. That could be D. Brown's investment into the university or major gift donation. It's someone's hard-earned money, right? Right. So going through undergrad, I never spent a dollar of my money ever. You know, I worked hard. I had the GPAs. Um, people believed in me. You know, I was always giving grants, et cetera. So I think it's very, it's, it's good karma to give back to your university. And giving back doesn't always have to be monetary. It could be simply as giving the president of Alcorn State, you know, uh, an introduction to the United Negro College Fund, who recently had $1.5 million worth of funding. Yeah. Or it could be to the point of helping five students land an internship at a Wall Street firm or with NASA. So giving back can look so many different ways. I think that many people get stuck on money, so they sort of shy away and put themselves in, in, in isolation. Right. But I, I try to give back in so many different variety of ways because it's very, very, very important to make sure that you're giving someone the same equity that someone provided you. Right, right. And I often bring this subject up on this show because I think that's one of the areas that, uh, you know, we as, you know, African-Americans 
uh, that we are lacking in terms of supporting uh, the institutions and, and communities that, that have paved the way and given us so many great opportunities. And I think that that's one of the ways we can start to bridge the gap or close the gap uh, because, as you know, HBCUs, and it's no secret, uh, have such a challenge with you know, competing with, with, with adequate resources and having access to resources as uh, the PWI counterparts. And a lot of that is due in large part because of that we have not collectively, I think, right. risen to the, the occasion to, to provide those uh, financial uh, resources and support back to those uh, organizations. And, that, and, not, and not just the HBCUs, but even the communities that we that we come from, you know, going back to your high schools or to your community and, and being able to give back and, and, and give someone a hand up in, in, in that community is, is important as well. Correct. Yep. So uh, I want to close the show out by giving you the opportunity to pitch uh, Alcorn to some young uh, high school student or, or, or junior or community college student who may be considering furthering their, furthering their education at an HBCU, why should they select Alcorn State University? Listen, if you want an opportunity to be at an academic resort, if you're an athlete, you know, football team, you know, um, just as a whole, Alcorn unparalleled to any other HBCU will open doors both globally, domestically, but it also will open doors within yourself for you to explore and figure out who you really are through the cultural experiences here on campus. So why not choose Alcorn? Hey, look, I could not have said it any better myself. <laughs> I think that someone would listen and, and, and take the call. And uh, Larry, I want to thank you for being on this episode of HBCU. And for what all you have accomplished, I want to present you with this HBCU Lifetime Achievement Award for your continued support and commitment to historically black colleges and universities. And you'll be receiving this uh, in the mail from my staff. And to my viewers, I want to thank you for watching this episode of HBCU. I'm your host, D. Brown, CEO. And remember, without you, there's no me.